probably in the last years, there's only been a handful of times that I've actually said, you know, if you want to do the kitchery, do it. Like, sure, here's your kitchery. I have a great kitchery recipe of how to do it properly. Here you go. But for the most part, what's effective is actually working with what the person is already used to and optimizing that. So it's about applying the principles, not about what that necessarily looks like. Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the fields of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard, as the show's guests demonstrate. By doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. In this episode, Elham Ansari takes us on a millennia-long journey inside of Ayurvedic medicine. In expert fashion, she distills down what can be a daunting philosophy to make pragmatic into a practice that anyone can adopt into their daily routine. We spend a lot of time covering Ayurvedic nutrition, from the exotic to the local, including animal-based food medicine. We also discuss other aspects of Ayurveda, including marma points, which are similar to acupuncture points, and other therapeutic tools, and the philosophical foundations of Ayurveda, including the doshas and elements. From within this philosophy, we find the spiritual roots of Ayurveda and how it applies to our personal journeys in this life. The scientific roots that allude to the genetics and DNA long before those terms existed and the similarities to other traditional medicines. Elham has been an instructor of Ayurveda at Pacific Rim College for nearly a decade and has been in practice far longer. She studied under the renowned Ayurvedic practitioner Vasant Ladd and we talk about how that experience impacted her. Her Ayurvedic nutrition courses and clinics at PRC are all live online and thus her teachings and therapies can be accessed from around the globe. Please enjoy this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Elham Ansari. Elham, welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio. Thank you, Todd. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here with you. Thank you for taking the time today. I was thinking about how much wisdom and knowledge you've brought to our students over the years, especially in the areas of nutrition, and I wanted to be able to share that with our larger audience. How long has it been since you've been teaching with Pacific Rim College? You know, Todd, it's been, I like we were just chatting a little earlier, almost a decade, which seems longer than I even thought. But yeah, I've been lucky to be able to be in the great space of Pacific Rim for for almost a decade. And you primarily are teaching Ayurvedic studies, is that correct? Yes, yeah, primarily Ayurvedic studies within the holistic nutrition program. Okay, let's go to the bare bone basics. What is Ayurveda? Ayurveda is um, what is said to be the oldest healing tradition known to mankind. Um, to me, it's, it's interesting to, you know, age things or um, categorize um, wisdom into one body. But, you know, as we look into ancient wisdoms, there's so many similarities between them and Ayurveda being one of the biggest bodies of um, traditional healing wisdom. Um, and 
you know, on a practical level, it is great on a layman way of understanding ourselves, our connection to the universe, understanding our bodies, how they work, what's going to work for our condition, what's not going to work our condition. Um, and on a, in a more detailed way, it is a really complete system of medicine, uh, even going into surgery, pediatrics, um, very detailed medicine as well. So um, hard to, you know, break it down in a nutshell, but yeah. As with a lot of the ancient medical practices, I guess we really don't have a starting point for when Ayurveda began. It was kind of an emergence probably over many generations of just people following traditional wisdoms and things being passed down from generation to generation. What are some of the core fundamental principles of Ayurveda that make it unique from some of the other traditional medicines? Yes. Um, Mainly its ability to put into words and articulate what a human would intuitively be feeling with their senses already. So it actually, the word Ayurveda actually translates as the knowing of life or the knowing of self. And it really centers itself, you know, not in a far away, distant, ancient place, you know, 6,000 or 10,000 years ago, but it really situates itself within the heart of the individual and trains the individual from their own anchor in their own self to utilize our senses to understand nature and understand ourselves as nature and again how to work with or or work against we don't know why we want to work against it but you know to understand both to understand disease and how to better disease so in a um really practical way of providing that spiritual connection as well like and spirituality in a really simple way of you know what does our connection to the universe mean so i particularly um i actually don't identify with this science but i really value this science as one of one really great way to describe this reality that we're in and to um so what would set it apart um you know i actually don't don't see different traditional wisdoms as being that separate uh they are separate in that they are from different perspectives and the land is different the language is different so the um, translation is going to be different of nature and our bodies. So all the wisdom traditions do tap into that bigger connection with the universe as well. But Ayurveda does, because it's in its very meaning, it's saying, hey, this is this is talking about you and your connection with the universe. Like even from the beginning, even from class one, that's and in, in my opinion, I have to break that down in the very first class that, you know, this is a very personal 
um, and intuitive investigation that we're, we're about to journey in. And yeah, so situating the wisdom within the person, I would say is what sets Ayurveda apart from perhaps other ancient wisdoms. But even those wisdoms, even in say traditional Chinese medicine, if we really dig into that and look at the essence, it's also um, from a yeah. you know, spiritual basis. Yeah, absolutely. Taoism and other roots mm-hmm. of Chinese medicine. And then, of course, other traditional philosophies. There is always that connection to the inner, to the inner wisdom and knowing. It's interesting because for you, or when you broke down Ayurveda, you broke it down as the how did you break it down again directly as the term the knowing of self so the knowing of self whereas some of the other uh, definitions of ayurveda are the science of life science of life which is uh, you already talked a bit about the science it's a bit separate or a bit different than the knowing of self talking about the science of life but i can already see how the western referencing or framework puts that into a scientific paradigm whereas you're talking about it as this universal knowing this consciousness this connection to self so that's that's very um i haven't heard it that way and i really appreciate that and actually within the synonyms iu and veda both the very individual and um observational so both the the individual and the scientific are within that meaning. So um, when you break up the synonyms, all parts of that are are in it. So it translates as the science of life, but it also translates as the knowing of life. And life itself is translated. So I, you is not just the life outside that we observe, but it is the life inside. So it's very much based on the micro macro Mm -hmm. um, inside, outside. Yeah. And as with traditional medicines, it's an exploration of within rather than always looking outside for uh, quick solutions to alleviate that which is perhaps plaguing us or bothering us with something like Ayurveda as a, a more holistic form of medicine. We can turn inwards to find out what are these symptoms telling us as opposed to turning outwards to just shut off the symptoms. Absolutely. And it's really only when we anchor in ourselves that we then can connect to the universe and even connect to the other, right? So this notion of um, whether it's just individualism or just communityism, or there's just outside or just inside, we, we really have to break down these binaries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just did an interview yesterday on five elements, the five elements of the Chinese medicine system. Ayurveda has its own system, which is the three doshas. Is that correct? Yeah. Ayurveda also starts with the five elements, which are pretty well similar to the um, Chinese five elements. Um, And if you really break down the elements into... um, you know, rather than ether, air, fire, water, earth, if we just think of it as as air, fire, water, earth, most traditional systems are going to be working with nature in the primary breakdown of, of it in the elements. So um, Ayurveda also begins with the investigation of the elements, 
but the elements in living flesh become the three doshas. So as a way of articulating and seeing, understanding how the elements work internally, they then are spoken to as the doshas. What a dosha, what does that translate as directly? Yeah, so the word dosha actually um, simultaneously, so there's a lot of these simultaneous um, definitions where we're actually holding both meanings or many meanings all at once in, in one word. And so the word dosha at the same time means organization. So it is the bodily uh, humors that maintain its organization. And if they work together, organization will be maintained. The same time, dosha means disorganization or disorder. And because if they are not working in tandem, then that is a disorder, a disease. So dosha means order and disorder. Interesting. And what are the doshas? So the doshas as living flesh of the elements, then we see the lighter ether air elements of the external world in living flesh as what's called vata, vata dosha, which vata simply means movement. It is this, the, the syllable seed word for just simply movement. So the movement in the universe um, is also then translated as vata, which is the circulation, the peristaltic movement, all the movements uh, within the body. And then fire element becomes pitta dosha internally, governing all metabolism and chemical transformation, same as the fire concept outside of the body of transformation. And the uh, earth and water elements in living flesh become uh, called kapha dosha, which kapha essentially means uh, mucus or phlegm or that which nourishes. Sounds contradictory, but it is the mucus and phlegm which also nourishes, but in excess also will cause disease. So the three doshas, vata, pitta, kapha, and um, if working together in the right amount, it is said, health will continue. If not, then the beginnings of disease. So as with five elements, acupuncture-based logic, uh, someone typically has a primary element that kind of rings true as their constitution or maybe a, a couple of elements. Is that the case with the doshas as well? Yeah, the doshas uh, become then a simplified way of describing genetics and genetic theory, really. So the way we can think about uh, biochemical individuality or your particular genetic makeup in this, again, this very simple, beautiful layman way of us humans making sense of uh, our, our worlds. In this way, it's referred to as your ratio of the doshas. So in the same way that we would say, what is your, your genetic uh, makeup? Now we say, what is the ratio? What is the makeup 
of the doshas within within you. So yes, we would have our constitution, which would, through a numerical system, which is quite simple as well, would allocate what ratio of, of the, the doshas you are, which is essentially what ratio of the elements you are. And how or why is that important or helpful? Because just like genetic variation and just like genetic predisposition, we're also going to have, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's knowing your predisposition according to your constitution type and your body type. And what's interesting is if a person has a fairly balanced representation of the elements or the doshas, then they might not notice these um, really exaggerated examples right, of, of what the dosha might look like. But in cases where there is a significant dosha present, then this science really works really well for those individuals, I find. Um, but, but there are times where there, you know, if, if there's no dosha showing up, then there's nothing to investigate, right? Um, but yeah, short answer, it's, it's essentially genetic predisposition. So, and how, how does someone figure out their dosha constitution? So I highly recommend that my clients or students or people listening to this, um, you know, don't necessarily run out to do one of those, I believe, very, very silly, silly dosha quizzes. Uh, the way I like to go about it is having the individual, because again, this is the science of life. This is the, um, the art of observation. And actually, truly, this medicine is the art of learning to observe. So we would learn to observe the elements and what they look like in manifested in a person. We would learn to observe what the doshas look like. And it actually doesn't take long to then understand what doshas then you are predominantly made of, made up of, or what your ratio is. So do take a quiz if, you know, if that's, they're great. They're cute little learning tools, but um, it's, it's really about understanding how they manifest and, and being able to um, identify that. So yeah, it's, okay. it's a little, <laughs> so as if this is kind of akin to our genetics in the language of Ayurveda, it's, I guess, something that we can't change. So what do you look for with a client? I'm, I'm presuming similar to five elements that when someone is out of balance, there's going to be some significant uh, presentations of certain elements in excess or deficiency or certain doshas, I, I presume. And so are you looking then to find a situation where, as you mentioned early, you can't even really, you can't even really read the doshas on someone because they're so well balanced? Is that? Well, you, you'll be able to, no matter um, what is happening with a person, you always identify their original constitution, which is essentially their DNA. And then we identify what we call their current state, their current constitution which is going to show what doshas have increased. 
so even if someone is a equal Vata Pitta Kava constitution, we would still identify that. Um, and sorry to answer your question better. I want, I want to understand. Is it something that changes? So you have, if someone's an equal Vata Pitta Kapha as their, I think you said kind of as their fundamental constitution, their genetic constitution, that doesn't change. What you're, you were saying is you notice is that when someone is out of balance and certain things are going to change, you'll see imbalances in the doshas. Is that correct? Yes. So if, Sorry, I don't if, remember the original question either. So <laughs> we'll work through this. We'll work through <laughs> um, can, can that constitutional dosha diagnosis change? Or is that always the constitutional one is kind of, that is, that doesn't change? Yes. So your original constitution, just like your DNA, it does not change. Okay. So, and, but we do know that there are certain diseases. So say like cancer has now changed the, the DNA coding level. So that's why subsequent cell, cells are not healthy. So constitution, your original constitution is your DNA. It should not change and we should not try to alter DNA. But then there's at any given state, we also identify what is then your current state, which would show any Im imbalances. So yeah, co constitution is genetics, it okay. does change. And it's, it's not, you see, the idea is not to balance the doshas so they all become the same. The idea is that your individual constitution which is unique to you is actually your prime place of balance. So that's the balance point you're trying to bring people back to is their original constitutional. Yes. Dosha. Okay. Exactly. Yes. And that's also the state that we always are, or it's good to be aware of because then we know what the predispositions could be. Then we would know how to keep them from increasing. Mm-hmm. And so you've mentioned DNA a number of times. Is there a concept in Ayurveda? Obviously, it predates the language of DNA. But is there a concept in Ayurveda that is could be now said to be representative of DNA? Because there are in other traditional medicines, even though, again, there was no understanding, as we know it today, scientifically, of D DNA. And a lot of shamanic traditions, for example, uh, there are twin serpents that coil around one another and glow. And historians are recognizing now that that's actually a representation of DNA because DNA does glow, it gives off light. So I'm just curious if Ayurveda has that. You got it, absolutely. I'm so glad you bring this up. And this is why it's so important for me when we bring up the concept of constitution that I make sure we, we relate it to that this is, we're talking about genetics, we're talking about DNA. And more specifically, uh, this whole science becomes actually not only about balancing the doshas, but that is done through actually balancing through the 10 opposite pairs of attributes. So actually the three doshas become the 
two opposing essentially yin and yang the they the three doshas become 10 opposing pairs of attributes so hot opposing cold dry opposing oily light opposing heavy and so on and so forth and that 10 opposite pairs of attributes is actually akin to the 10 main pairs of amino acids that make up our DNA. And it's beautiful because uh, my teacher, Dr. Vasant Lad, did the work because he actually said, you know, if this is, this is a theory we keep saying, let's look at it. So he looked at the amino acids and compared them to the, the 10 opposite pairs of attributes. So I can, I can send it to you if you'd like, or I can screen share now with you um, the, the 10 opposite pairs of attributes and their associated amino acid. So literally your, the notion of the, our, your constitution is the same as the notion of, of your genetics and your DNA. Oh, fascinating. Um, is there something we can put in the show notes that you have a link or a PDF or something? that we can throw in the show notes after? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'll, I'll send you over the 10 opposite pairs of attributes. Perfect. Yeah. It's so crazy how these, the ancient wisdoms, like thousands of years ago, they, they were able to n have this knowledge of things that Western medicine didn't start to catch up to until really last century. And really, when you look across all forms of traditional medicines, it's there. Like the, the similarities between them all are just striking, especially when they emerged at a time before global travel was a thing. Uh, it's just, it's amazing the similarities between Ayurveda and Chinese medicine and shamanic practices of the Americas and Ayurveda. It's, it's wow. Yeah. I'm Absolutely. always fascinated by it. Absolutely. How did you get to be interested in Ayurveda? Interestingly, it was from a very uh, from from a very young age. I wanted to understand culture and society, and deeper within that nature and the world and the universe and. Um, they always seem like, you know, big, broad topics. And I remember whether it was, you know, uh, university professors or um, high school teachers are always like, you gotta, you gotta bring your focus, you know, more narrow. I'm like, but I want to understand the whole universe. Um, and so that naturally from a really young age, I was an artist and I was always drawing and painting and that led me to art school and it was actually in art school that slowly the art object started withering away because I realized well this is about the human connection with nature and and the artist desires to bring wholeness and completion and really what I started realizing was what I was interested in was bringing wholeness and completion to social, cultural, ideological knowledge deficits, you know, that oppress us and that my energies weren't useful in a studio making paintings that, you know, I, I had to understand creative energy as it serves humanity. And so 
I very immediately, I actually didn't even do any research, but the word Ayurveda came up in, in my mind and actually doctors, Dr. Lod's image kind of came up in my mind. And um, my, a, a friend of mine's father actually was like, have you considered this, this school in Albuquerque? Um, so it was after, you know, art school and a great time in the art world um, that I wanted to understand this, the physical mind, body, spiritual sciences. And so I went to Albuquerque, New Mexico and studied Ayurveda there. And it really did bring language to what I already knew intuitively. Yeah. And that's how I like to share it as well, that I'm not sharing anything with you, that we are just bringing language to what you already know intuitively. Right. You mentioned your teacher was, one of your teachers is Basant Lad. He's, of course, anyone who knows Ayurveda knows his name. Can you talk a bit about that, um, what it was like learning from him? Mm -hmm. It was like meditation. Um, truly sitting in front of him as he's channeling from Charaka, the great ancient seer who uh, downloaded a lot of Ayurveda. Um, and because you see this, the science is actually translating as the knowing of self through a revelation. So it's always said Ayurveda is not a, a man-made science it is a revelation from within and so it, it really is um your soul your lower soul tapping into your higher soul and and downloading uh, tapping in and downloading um universal intuitive intelligence or the akashic records whatever you want to call it source and so when you're sharing this wisdom even if you pick up a book and you start reading it if it has that feeling that it's striking your heart or your because your soul lives in your heart and it's because it is down it is downloading it is um, a source of connection and it does find itself in the hearts of those who want to connect so uh, studying with Dr. Lod was um, like that like sitting and breathing in the knowledge but you know I was very young I was pretty young and I didn't know how to be a student yet so I remember for the first two years I was just like duh this is common sense like, <laughs> isn't this obvious to everyone I was looking around like I already know this stuff and then I realized well um this is the whole point because it's intuitive universal intelligence that as humans, we need to reintegrate to be humans again. Um, and, and so it should feel like that. Um, yeah, so it truly is, is like breathing in um, the knowledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very beautiful. What are some of the medicines of Ayurveda? Like we spoke mm -hmm. that you, you teach nutrition part of it but what are what are some of the the tools within Ayurveda 
when we learn Ayurveda uh, within its true context of examining deeply the 10 opposite pairs of attributes, so attribute theory as being the fundamental basis of Ayurveda and actually the same attribute theory being yin and yang and being all the ancient wisdoms. Then when you examine and understand the attributes that the world is made of, then everything is medicine. So actually, um, even in our foundations of Ayurveda class, we, we break every attribute down actually just within the first few classes and look at how physically through through food um through physical biochemical constituents but also environment also relationship emotions um frequency that everything is medicine because everything has the attributes that we are made of and so it is a constant relational exchange of what do you have what attributes do you have and what attributes does this thing outside of you have and so then what do you need so then that's why we say everything is poison and everything is medicine um so within ayurveda truly there is it, it truly covers all um, earth medicine, so minerals and things, all plant medicines, plants, and actually even animal medicine as you know, animal as, as medicine. Um, Ayurveda also covers um, the spiritual, emotional, mental, spiritual healing as medicine. Um, so even yoga, meditation, there's really no parameters because it, it, you can really apply it um, to the universe. But the most practical way to apply this is through food medicine, right? Because food is the grossest, densest thing that we are bringing in all day. So that's why I have found the most practical way to integrate this ancient wisdom into our current time is, is through the food medicine. Yeah. I like how you said that everything becomes medicine. Everything is medicine. With the food medicine, is this something that is applicable to all cultures, people living all over the world, or is it mostly beneficial for those people living in places where Ayurvedic is rooted, such as India? So if you... Take Ayurveda in the way that, you know, in a lot of the ways that it has been translated. And, you know, a lot of clients, you know, come to me and they're like, oh, I'm doing an Ayurveda cleanse. And so I'm eating my, my kitchari, my lentil soup. And I'm like, oh no, like, but you can't even digest beans right now. You know, like, and, and are you making that properly? And are you using the right spices in the right way to make that bean bioavailable? Or is that bean just causing you major gas and constipation and making your situation even worse? So to make this science applicable takes not looking at it just from the superficial perspective that we might find you know online or certain places but 
when we apply its uh, application of the actual theory of the attribute theory and then the taste theory, so Ayurvedic food pharmacology and actually medicinal pharmacology is based around then the same elements now in living flesh of the food become the tastes. So if you really understand and apply the tastes, then you will realize that actually all cultures around the world are utilizing the six tastes to balance their foods. Okay. And so the taste being like bitter, sweet, sour. Yes. Sweet, okay. sour, pungent, bitter, astringent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if I hear you correctly, it's not necessarily eating what is traditionally eaten in India or Sri Lanka if you're doing an Ayurvedic diet, but it's applying that taste knowledge to the food profile that your body is used to, that your ancestors uh, ate. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. You got it. So you don't then have to be eating curries and galangal and ginger and turmeric and shatavari and things like that because that may not be traditional to your constitution. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, you know, actually in most of my sessions, I barely even use Ayurvedic terminology. And I probably in the last years, there's only been a handful of times that I've actually said, you know, if you want to do the kitchery, do it. Like, sure, here's your kitchery. I have a great kitchery recipe of how to do it properly. Here you go. But for the most part, what's effective is actually working with what the person is already used to. They're already what they are familiar with, the ingredients they're familiar with, and optimizing that to their conditions. You could go anywhere and apply the the principles it's about applying the principles not about what that necessarily lo looks like and are the results typically better if someone is applying the principles to foods local to them than having more exotic foods that perhaps they have not ever had in their diet absolutely you know actually one of the things that bothers me the most is when we do things in the name of health or wellness, which absolutely make no sense and are just ridiculous. And the person hates it. They think it tastes terrible. It's from, you know, it's creating more pollution from, it's from the other side of all this stuff because they think, well, this is what I read or this is what I'm supposed to do or this is what was on this food list. There's nothing sadder than that in someone's healing journey. Washers, they are, but you know, um, and so absolutely, it's it's actually more harmful than if we look at okay, what is the environment there? What are the ingredients there? And it's it's always applicable. And um, most traditions were never saying this is universal for all. They're saying this is what makes sense in my connection with nature here you know and, and how does that make sense to you, you know? uh, but we want to there's just something about yeah our, our western sense of wanting to like fix and freeze and like so is this good for you know that that we want to uh, make it like that and then and then we lose it 
it's no longer applicable and it's actually might even cause more harm. Yeah. Well, and I think it's very common, especially in, in probably our circles, because we're in the fields of holistic medicine, that people will be taking a dozen, two dozen different supplements. And I'm not just talking vitamins and minerals. I'm talking about herbs that would be native to European traditions and herbs from Chinese traditions and, and herbs from Ayurvedic traditions. And it's just this, it gets to a point where I wonder like, is all of this actually helping? Is any of this synergistically working together or is one thing canceling out another thing and someone's just putting $40 worth of supplements in their body every week? You got it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's definitely a reality. And, and we do uh, have to have to be aware of that because there, there is, there's a lot. And, and it's also sad that our food and, you know, we could say our, this, the soil, the pesticides, the herbicides, what we've done to the food, it is sad that it doesn't have always the, that nutritional capacity that we do need and that we are relying on supplementation. This is this is a reality, yeah. but we need to focus on well, how do we re rebuilding our soil? You know, and um, all of all the many things we have to do as a world. Um, but yeah, this is this is definitely a reality where um, the individual's investigation becomes a this myriad of you know this entourage of herbs or medicines that don't even get along and mm -hmm. like you said no synergy yeah yeah earlier you mentioned animal medicine what is that animal medicine is essentially this the concept that our human tissues they are going to have the most bioavailability with other cells tissues that are are alike so um transforming bean protein so transforming protein from a from a bean is going to take a lot of soaking and sprouting and using the right oil and spice and cooking and all this stuff to help make it more bioavailable and and hopefully there'd be all those spices and herbs are supporting the metabolic system to actually make that bioavailable with animal medicine um it would be the same part so you know we we actually this is very commonly done it might sound wild but it's you know for example like bile for bile like gall bile for for if you have your gallbladder removed um or um thyroid glandulars for, for thyroid function or adrenal um, glandulars for adrenal function. So um, just like we're seeing now these animal medicines be used in naturopathic medicine and you know, for thousands of years, they've also been used. Um, and like eye for eye, right? So you want to heal gut, eat gut. And really like as a population that consume so much animal product. The problem is, is that we're actually consuming mostly one tissue of the animal or the muscle tissue, right? So it's great that, you know, humans are getting back in, in touch with like bone broths and um, 
marrow and, and these different things. Um, but, you know, I come from a culture where we use absolutely every single part of the animal and, and it's, it, it's the right way to, you know, if you're going to take the animal's life, you, you must. And also then we're actually healing and feeding the different tissues of our body. So muscle tissue is going to mostly feed muscle tissue, but what about your brain? What about your nerves? What about your blood, right? So this is where animal organs, brain, you know, all these different ways, but they, they have to be properly prepared. And also they are presented nicely. So if me and my mom were to make you, you know, brain soup, it would be beautiful. You wouldn't, it would just look like bone broth with little pieces of, you know, little pieces of white fat. You know, you're not supposed to see the animal head you know, on, on the table. So <laughs> now I'm seeing these, you know, carnivore diet uh, dudes, right? Essentially like people who already have lots of muscle tissue and um, on the carnivore diet um, and a lot of animal organs being supplemented. So now there's actually animal brain liver like in supplement form. And um, actually one of my passions in the nutritional world, I'm like, I, I could help people know how to make these, these things properly because it doesn't need to be in a capsule form. Um, and also the right people need the right medicine. So that's the point of animal medicine. It's that if a, if a human needs to nourish that tissue, so you have a menstruating woman who has low blood, you have a woman who's given birth, who, who needs to regenerate it, or you have generally a more deficient type constitutioned person. So that's where understanding your constitution. And um, so if someone's tending towards deficient type conditions and they're generally always a bit more underweight and have anemia and um, low hormones things like that then animal medicine is a really bioavailable way to to nourish those tissues whereas if someone has a strong fire constitution strong metabolism even hypermetabolism, then they don't need these more warming blood building animal proteins, they can actually have the metabolic energy to make the beans, the soy, the, you know, those, the, the plant protein bioavailable. Okay. So animal medicine then is primarily nutritional based. Is there a, as with medicines native to the Americas, is there a spiritual base? Like animal medicine shamanically is related to your power animals and hummingbird medicine. And I'm just curious if Ayurveda has something like that. Absolutely. The, um, and, and I, I'm sorry if I used even the term animal medicine or eating animal in, in, too, in a loose way. I didn't, mean to you know devalue it because absolutely there's the the energy of the animal which gives it more of that metabolic energy which is more akin to our tissues so there's uh great awareness and respect in in seeing that it is this the spirit of the animal and that it is you know the spirit of all beings and actually traditional Ayurveda in its, uh, in its real true sense uh, is vegetarian because it, 
is you know, honoring the, the animal spirit with the inclusion of milk, with the inclusion of milk, which um, it was seen that the milk was a symbiotic relationship with with the human and the animal, which now we, it's like, well, is, is taking the milk a symbiotic relationship all the time now? Probably not, right, in dairy farms. Um, so yeah, it's seen that only, you know, in traditional Ayurveda, it's seen if the person has a deficiency condition, they're using that. And also, yes, with um, the, the actual energy of the animal and the energy it provides. It's actually seeing really understanding attribute theory is seeing the, the energy that everything provides and how it is medicine. So absolutely. Yeah. Okay. There seems to be a lot of other therapies with Ayurveda, uh, such as body work. When someone goes to see an Ayurvedic practitioner, I'm just curious what they can expect, or does it depend on the focus area of that particular practitioner? Perhaps not all Ayurvedic practitioners do nutrition and, and plants and body work and marma points, etc. Can you just walk us through that? Absolutely. There is in the, again, this, this field is very, very vast. It covers almost all medicinal therapies and, and areas. And even um, within the body, the, the therapies of uh, massage and um, different points, even there was, um, there is even acu, um, there's marma therapy, but even the penetration of needles were, um, also it has been cited so it's so similar you know the marmor points the acupuncture. Yeah. well I, and i'll interject if i may that my first mentor dr jay anton jay Suri of sri lanka uh, he and his brother and their archaeological team discovered the balangoda man which was an ancient burial site and there were depictions on ola leaves of various animals with and humans with acupuncture points on them, primarily elephants and humans. And this would have been more in the Ayurvedic tradition. And that at the time was believed to be the oldest evidence of acupuncture's existence, not in China, but in Sri Lanka. And I know there's other cultures in the world where acupuncture evidence of acupuncture or similar therapies has been discovered. And I, I think even the Etsy Iceman had mm -hmm. tattoo points on his body that indicated what would be logical acupuncture points to use for what they determined to be his common pathologies. Wow. Amazing. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. So Ayurveda does carry the same meridian points, meridian lines as, as TCM. Yeah. And so the, so many therapies, so many, uh, physical therapies are done in the Ayurvedic practice of, um, again, according to what the person needs. So different oil massages um, or with massages without oil, um, the physical components of yoga, meditation, stretching, so many um, different components that physically 
manipulate the body or physically, you know, where there's physical touch and things. But as you're saying, it is very much dependent on the practitioner and their particular area. Um, traditionally, in if you're in India, the therapies, so the massages, the sweating, the all these different things are done within a panchakarma facility, which means pancha means five, karma means action or therapies. So um, the therapies are a big part of a complete uh, traditional Ayurvedic regime. Yes. But our articulation of it here in, in the West, yes, you do see more as um, practitioners specializing and, you know, choosing what um, they, they do or don't do. So um, I don't do the, you know, whether it's the, the Abhyangas, the oil massages or the Shiradharas, the um, I do recommend, I refer out, like, for example, there's places in town, um, uh, wonderful Ayurvedic therapy, there's a couple of therapy centers that I would refer to, but I myself feel like there's such a huge need for basic understanding of what works for the individual and um, the debunking of cultural fads, myth, and all that, that um, I have I have my hands full. So um, yeah, I, I understand the therapies and I did, I, I am trained in them. And actually in the beginning of my healing career, I did a lot more physical therapy and a lot more um, of that contact with the person. Actually, that's what led me to studying Chinese medicine because I, I saw myself as doing the the massage and the body work. I was really, really into body work. Um, and I saw myself as completing the session, the body work session with the needles. And so that's why I moved to Victoria to study Chinese medicine and acupuncture. Um, and then more and more my practice got educational and ideological. And I really like that. I know my work is in the information ideology realm so to backtrack because i interrupted or shared a story about the needles can you explain more about the use of needles traditionally in ayurvedic medicine as it stands currently the same meridians and acupoints are the same meridians and marma points in Ayurveda, but it's, it's literally the same. I think there's actually a book by Deadman uh, comparing the Ayurvedic and TCM meridians. Actually, we actually had it at the school library at one point. Um, yeah, I don't know if that was Deadman or not. I do kind of recall a book, but I'm not sure. Dr. Lod, and I thought it was Dr. Lod and Deadman, but I, sorry. Um, so currently, um, it is mostly the marma points that are that are used, and there's you know like Ayurvedic practitioners are not doing needling currently, um, but there is there is proof like you were saying that in the past there was needling whether it's with 
um, sharp objects that were just stimulating more heavily or even the, the, the penetration. Um, but yeah, currently the acupoints, which are the same as the marma points are more so being used in marma therapy. So like acupressure, um, but I think there was, there's a bigger similarity there between um, the actual, you know, acupuncture there at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The theory that I had heard or learned, especially with my mentor and his discovery of this Balangoda man with the artifacts that were most likely or actually very clearly used for acupressure and acupuncture sharpened bones and rocks and things of that nature is that perhaps through the silk route and the spice route this traditional knowledge traveled and was shared and it actually because obviously there's a land connection quite close between india and china although it's it's still quite a distance it's it was covered extensively, and so perhaps some of these uh, ideas kind of were disseminated through those spice and, and silk roots and then kind of emerged simultaneously and distinctly as different cultural practices or medical practices. And just like Ayurveda, Chinese medicine has, and as well as other medicines of of East Asia, Japan, and, and other places, they have a more holistic perspective or approach that includes nutrition and herbs and body work and exercise and breathing and spiritual practices. So they, they truly are these wonderful holistic systems that people can spend lifetime studying and still just begin to peel back the layers of the depth of it and the, the ancient wisdom is just so profound so, so amazing profound. so profound but also so right here in our yes. hearts so like even though we grasp and we learn from and we honor our ancient wisdom so we don't have to reinvent wheels we really have to remember that you know, culture is where the heart's at you know and and we are we are ancient you know our souls are are ancient but as you were saying absolutely um any person's healing journey is going to need a multifaceted approach right so because we are mind body and spirit so uh no healing journey is complete with you know only diet therapy or only acupuncture or only um pharmaceuticals or you know so uh, it is, it is truly when we say holistic medicine, it's, it's not just trying to be, um, rhetorical or, or trendy. It's truly that we as humans are here to heal and, and healing is a multifaceted journey. Mm -hmm. What are some of the, if, if exists, are there any areas within Ayurveda right now or any disciplines or studies that you're really engaged in right now? recently well about a year ago my mom was diagnosed with with uh, breast cancer um, mid later stages and it really allowed me to dive 
even further into what integrative medicine truly means. And it was a really difficult uh, decision to um, decide with her that really integrating like chemotherapy and, and the best, the best, the best of naturopathic medicine and traditional medicine that we have access to. And truly it felt like holding the entire universe and all the best medicine that we have had access to and that we do have access to, you know, all in, in the palms of our hands. And I'm so grateful to have investigated this world enough to be able to guide her through this. Um, and in working with, so working with the Western Medicine Cancer Agency Society, and also um, a brilliant naturopathic oncologist. So a naturopathic physician that specializes in oncology. This process over the past year has been one of the most enlightening experiences in seeing how truly we can integrate and utilize the best, the best of um, current and ancient medicine. But what's great is um, seeing that even this most advanced natural medicines, these most advanced um, naturopathic supplements are Ayurvedic herbs. So in these, these medicines that are helping my mom right now so much um, are Ayurvedic herbs. And I'm, I'm amazed to see that, that you know, taking from the best that the natural world has to offer, you know, that we're, we're tapping into these medicines. So it's been really interesting to see how um, we can use the herbal medicine, the supplementation to help the body deal with the chemotherapy, help the body um, protect tissue, protect certain tissue, um, help the body's organs uh, with the chemotherapy. It's been really, really interesting and enlightening and a whole deeper dive into even Western medicine as well. And, um, you know, their, like what Western medicine does in the, in the face of something like cancer, you know, and this, this um, very much you know, attack approach, right? But in choosing, you know, cause I chose that with my mom, I was like, well, we're gonna, you know, let's do it, do it both to be safe. Um, but in further, you know, in further thinking about things and researching, I'm realizing that, you know, is cancer just incredibly um, full-fledged inflammation and excess and, you know, like, did, does it have to lead to that? And, and then is chemotherapy the, the, the way, the answer? So, yeah, so currently a deep dive in what integrative medicine actually means and what is actually needed in a true sense. You know, what does advanced medicinal technology really mean? Like, is it actually archaic? Like, is chemotherapy actually so archaic and is traditional medicine actually very advanced, right? So I'm seeing, seeing this whole um, whole dance happening.
Mm. Well, I wish you and her certainly the best on this journey. And she's very lucky to have you helping to guide her along it. It is fascinating to be able to... It's one thing to, to look after our patients with the medicines that we learn, but when it really hits home and we are taking care of our loved ones or ourselves with them, it's, whew, it's a whole different experience. It really is. And yeah. it's, been, it's been the best experience to really closely see that it is not just body, but mind and spirit. Mm -hmm. And that perhaps the best way for cancer to not come back is if you have really brought that awareness into your soul that that you are ready to heal. You know? yeah. so, so even seeing how with the best of physical medicine, if we don't have that spiritual awareness, that um, actual taking care of the self and being with the self, um, on, on that healing journey that it's, it, it's not going to work. You know, it's mm -hmm. going to come back. Like yeah. the root. And cancer is such an interesting one because it's just the, the label of cancer and it kind of is assumed that anything that is cancerous falls under that and is identical and therefore needs the identical treatment or it's, it's, it's absurd. There are, thousands and thousands of varieties of what we would call cancer and they all manifest for very different reasons and I think they all manifest because there's an imbalance in our body and if we're able to recognize that then there's solutions within that within that recognition that oh this cancer is an indication that my body is out of balance uh, and I think by putting the labels on it and it's such a horrible label it, we've made it such a horrible label that it kind of, when someone gets that diagnosis, it's like, oh gosh, I got to do something now, radical and start this war, start this war against something that's in my body, against my body. So it's really great to be able to return to some of these traditional wisdoms because of course, cancerous cells have been with us forever. And so I think there are a lot of answers in turning not just to the physical approach of how do we extract or kill or alleviate, but to the bot or to the mind and the spirit and using those lifestyle changes and using the cancer as a tool to recognize, wow, things have really gone down a a path that probably is not the best path for me. And that's what this is telling me. So where am I not listening to my body's wisdom? Where am I not fulfilling my purpose? Where am I not living my truest self or truest life? Exactly. Anyway, that, that's all. Yeah. Whole every, deep world we could go into. And every, every um, condition, every healing journey has its roots at that investigation. Yes. at that realization at that awareness and it's it's amazing because in a system like the western medical system in not understanding inflammation and not understanding the you know excesses and and what the body's doing then a tumor pops up well 
there's no idea there. There's no tools there to, to know what to do with it. And, um, but, but we do have the tools. We do yeah. have the tools of, you know, and so. I just did a recent interview with Dr. Julian Scott, who is a well-known acupuncturist who's mostly known for his pediatric acupuncture, but actually now in his later stages of life, he's been working a lot with elderly and he does a lot of um, work with stages of life. And he, he is kind of theorizing that dementia and a lot of these diseases, so-called diseases of the elderly are actually often indicating that that individual as they moved into kind of this late stage of life, they haven't yet got the message. They haven't yet found their heart's wisdom or tapped into that. And so this is just part of their lesson, part of their journey. And it's really interesting. And I recommend people listen to that because it's something where we talk about people having a midlife crisis. And in some cases people wake up to that and go, oh, wow. Like, I've got to make changes and not just physical ones, not just the car that I'm driving or the house that I'm living in, but deeper ones, emotional ones, mental ones, spiritual ones. Absolutely. Holism, deep Mm -hmm. holistic medicine. Yes. And, and it will, the cancer will come back if you don't realize what that is and and don't make those shifts. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it ever fully goes away. I think we all have it within us and it's just through our health or poor health, it either manifests or it doesn't. And, and we keep it in balance and in check through listening to our body. Exactly. And providing what our body needs. So I don't actually think it's healthy to view it as cancer, as something that we have to eradicate. Now it's in remission. And now I'm safe because it's in remission, but uh uh-oh, like it could come back. It could come back next year or the year after. Then you're, then you're living in a state of fear. Absolutely. And that's certainly not going to help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Elham. What are the opportunities for people to work with you and learn from you? Yeah. I offer um, private and group teachings as well as uh, sessions. So you can find me at Elham at elhamansari.com. You can only well, can email me at, at that if you want to reach out. You can find me on the internet. Um, and yeah, I offer sessions and also um, teaching. So I'm, I'm here to, to share and yeah, whatever okay. it is. So through that website, people can find more about you. Do you offer what's now called telehealth? Can you do uh, yeah, work with absolutely. people? Just, okay. Actually, most of my sessions are online now. Okay. And, and it's been wonderful connecting with people from all over the world. Yeah. Okay. And then through PRC, I know some of your classes have also shifted to online or the is there opportunity for people to take those those classes? They're all online and absolutely through PRC. Um, I offer the foundations of Ayurveda, Ayurvedic nutrition, as well as Ayurvedic herbs and spices um, pretty well almost every semester. And they are currently all online and will be for the summer semesters as well. Okay. And That's as good. well. Oh, go ahead. We have 
great clinics as well at school that um, you can also come sign up for clinics that I offer and, and help the students learn that way. Okay. So these are the holistic nutrition clinics, but with yes. you as the, the instructor, so the, the specialty or the focus is Ayurveda? Well, I'm also a holistic nutritionist. Okay. So uh, I have a great way of, you know, like I said, even in my Ayurvedic sessions, you won't hear me using Ayurvedic terms that often because okay. I great. love translating. So um, I, I like to combine the best of traditional and conventional nutritional therapies. Okay. Yeah. So through the online clinic at Pacific Rim College, people can work with you and the students who are in your class. Yes. Yes. Excellent. And just to clarify too about the courses that you're offering, these are all taught live. They're online, but they're live. You're in person, yeah. well, in person on the computer screen with the students like you and I are now. So there's a, the opportunity for interactions and Yes. They are as real as online can get. Okay. And we make sure we connect. Absolutely. It's 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 actually quite fun. I'm amazed by how online classes can actually be engaging and awesome. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing some of your story and journey with us and some of your wisdom. And thank you for the many, many, many years that you've uh, spent with us at Pacific Rim College, passing on your knowledge to the students. Thank you so much, Todd. Thank you for your great podcast and for having me on. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Elham. Thank you. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Elham Ansari. To learn more about Elham, visit elhamansari.com. That's E-L-H-A-M-A-N-S-A-R-I.com. And check out her courses in Ayurveda at PacificRimCollege.com. Also, visit the student clinic at Pacific Rim College to book your online nutritional consultation with Elham and her students. If you are interested in comprehensive studies in holistic nutrition, the School of Holistic Nutrition at Pacific Rim College offers world-renowned programs, including world's only study options combining holistic nutrition with Western herbal medicine and acupuncture. Visit PacificRimCollege.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to check out our online education in holistic nutrition by exploring the amazing course offerings at PacificRimCollege.online, including many courses featuring other guests of this podcast. Sign up for our newsletter to receive special offers on our newest releases. Additionally, join the waitlist for a 40% discount on our newest program, the Holistic Nutrition Certificate Program, which launches June 15th and features eight renowned instructors, more than 60 hours of self-paced video, and two beautiful textbooks. If you are interested in receiving clinical services on holistic nutrition, herbal medicine, and acupuncture in Chinese medicine, the student clinic at PRC provides more than 7,000 annual treatments. Live holistic nutrition and herbal medicine consultations are both available online, while acupuncture and Chinese medicine treatments can be had at our Victoria campus. Free treatment options are available in all areas. Visit the student clinic at PacificRimCollege.com for more information and to book your appointment. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you are using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, see what Ayurvedic philosophies you can apply to your local diet and lifestyle.